Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are attacking Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Kester Duraski. I'm Andrew Duraski. And today we are again joined by Hannah Rogers from Vox Popcast. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be back. Today we're discussing Minute 67, which begins with Ariel starting to cry on the on the deck. Or not the deck, the dock. Um, and then the, ends... The deck of the dock? The deck of the dock. <laughs> And then ends with Scuttle saying, she's gonna. <laughs> we have so many split lines. <laughs> it's really frustrating. Uh, the minute features Ariel sobbing on the deck with Flounder and Sebastian next to her, also looking very sad. Scuttle flying down to the wedding ship where he spies on Vanessa, who is singing about her plan. Vanessa looks in the mirror in her room and Scuttle discovers that the truth that Vanessa is Ursula. Dun, dun, dun. Ah, <laughs> such a big, scary moment. And not known at all. That Except it- that we saw her transform. Yeah. <laughs> and know exactly what's going on. But it, but we need them to know what's going on. Uh, this is true. Yeah. Um, before we get deep into the, the minute discussion, I did want to take a minute and have Hannah... Can you share with us your entire background with Little Mermaid or or Disney or or well, that could get big for <laughs> a lot of people. Like you don't have to outline every movie that you see. Uh, but, that would be um, all of them, unfortunately. Home of the Range is pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I haven't even seen. I've seen Home, Home of the, the Range. Range. I've, there's a couple that I haven't seen, but I've seen most of the. Oh, films. I guess but, not Song of the South. I have not seen Song of the South. Um, but I've actually seen Song of the South, but I was like five. <laughs> And it was at my grandpa's house, so. Um, yeah, uh, so actually, uh, The Little Mermaid um, came out in 89. And if I have my family lore correct, my father bought it for my mother when she was pregnant with me. And so there's never been a time in my life where I don't remember The Little Mermaid. Um, and then I was uh, devastated years later uh, when I read the original version Um <laughs> and, which which I guess actually is relevant to this minute because like I guess this is where the movie really really departs um, from the end of that fairy tale um, and yeah I, I still go see every Disney movie that's out in theaters I was very disappointed by Frozen 2 I won't get into why um, but the animation is beautiful I'm glad we're not getting into why I really liked Frozen Andrew 2. does not like Frozen and he loved Frozen 2 I like both of them so but, but- Everyone can have very different reasons for liking it. One of the things that I like best about Frozen 2 is I do feel like it outlines the hero's journey really well on two different characters at the same time, which I think is an interesting tactic. But we don't have to get into yeah, it. We, 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 we <laughs> let's, let's, a, we'll let you continue. Like That's not the same reason a lot of people would particularly I, like a Disney movie. I also really, like, I, I've actually been disappointed lately with, like, all the sequels because I feel like they're all the same. Like, like uh, I know that Pixar and Disney are totally different, but, you know, Toy Story 4, Frozen 2, it's like, let's separate the people who are really important to each other. They must move on. I mean, there's more. it's more complicated than that. But, um, <laughs> but Coco's great. <laughs> um and I'm very excited about the upcoming films whenever they might come out eventually. So um, 
I think about Disney a lot. Uh, I've only been to Disney World twice, um, though, and I, you know, have I've missed some of the other stuff. This is probably rambling now. Just stop me. Over the Little Mermaid. Um, it's fine. Back, back to the Little Mermaid and your like particular history and interest in it. Yes. Um, you know, actually, like I am. Well, I have graduated um, with a PhD in English, and I don't study uh, fairy tales specifically. And Hans Christian Andersen wasn't in my geographic area of focus because I studied England. Um, at its literature, um, but, uh, you know, the tale was first published in 1837 um, by Anderson. So I, I do have, like, a semi-academic interest in this as well, uh, to some degree. Well, we, I mean, that is the kind of perspective, I mean, not exclusively that perspective, or else all of our guests would be, you know, English PhDs focusing on literature in, in the 1930s or the 1830s but um but like we appreciate getting the diverse experiences and expectations and understandings of this stuff and um so since you brought it up at, about the the separation from this version of the little mermaid from hans christian anderson's uh original we, this is a good time to talk about what goes on in the original at this finale portion of the story yeah. versus what they went to do for this. I usually defer to Kestra. She's the one who's like got the better details and more experience with the original. But essentially, I mean, it's a Han Christian Anderson one, so it's a tragedy and it ends badly. And we've already talked about how the Queen of Denmark just said uh, that Hans Christian Andersen just never knew how to end a story. They're all terrible endings. And like these are these are so yeah. like I mean, okay, all the ones that I know of for sure, like man, that's a downer. Yeah. I'm not sure how the Snow Queen ends. That's like the one I can think of where I know most of the story and I don't know how it actually ends, but like Steadfast and Soldier, they die. Little Match Girl, they die. She dies. <laughs> um Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. She dies. Well, it's complicated. Kind um, of. But so, yeah. But like, but I will say that the the Snow Queen, um, if I'm not mistaken, actually is much happier than that. Yeah, they they it's fine. I mean, like it's no Elsa gets a redemption arc, but it's you know not totally. It's also a bummer. Weirdly complicated. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. like all these stories are weirdly complicated. Um, because basically, like. What it's Disney decided to focus on the romance between Eric and Ariel, which I think is basically what they do for most of their Renaissance fairy tales. Um, yeah. it, it, and they just like that, that makes it like you know the main story. I mean, you can only do so much in about an hour and a half, I think is like the standard for these Disney movies, maybe even a little less. Um, a little less. This yeah. is going to be like 87 minutes with credits. Um, so like there's only so much you can do. Um, but the in the original tale, Vanessa's not actually evil. Um, she's she's a human princess, um, more or less. And the sea witch is just a totally different character. Um, and who makes kind of devilish deals with everyone. And basically, the prince falls in love with this princess through like a very complicated like dramatic means that honestly I feel like could take up like the entire tea of this episode um 
but uh, he and the princess get married and actually the big moral decision of the little mermaid is whether or not she's going to take a knife and stab the prince and kill him um, so she can become a mermaid again which she doesn't so she sort of dies but maybe not um, well if I'm not mistaken uh, the he he originally ended it with her just turning into sea foam yes. because that's what mermaids yes. do when they they die and they have no soul so they can't live after yes. but then after he originally published that ending uh he published another ending where she's like she what is she not like a an, an angel she's not really an angel but she's something else she has to inspire like a hundred good deeds or something something it's, like it's that daughters of the air yeah it's 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 strange daughters of the air um yeah and it's weird and i don't really i'm not i'm i am not gonna lie hans christian anderson may have come up with the most impenetrable magic system of any author um like all of his stuff like he's like yeah and souls and fairies like you get it but there's also all this stuff that i'm making up about it yeah i mean i think that honestly the best audience for these tales are kids because honestly kids are like yeah dark stuff i'll go along with it yeah weird magic stuff i don't need an explanation it's fine or maybe mm-hmm. i'm just yeah. projecting myself um young me i but like he like he creates this stuff and it's like okay it makes a little bit of sense i guess and then there's a lot where you're like i don't know where he's getting that from in in like all of them you know, like even Steadfast Tin Soldier, which is one of the more straightforward ones. Like, and there's a little demon in the spice box. What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. He, he's just. He... There's a lot of like. There's a, definitely a lot of like Christian I mean, mythology. There... I would say not even theology. I would I would call it Christian mythology for like demons and angels and yes. like. And those kinds of things. And and his original for mermaids was that they didn't have souls. Like they they lived for a long long time, but they they didn't have souls. And it's like he's just he made he made some really lot. he made some like good ideas for stories, but like they're just not executed as well as the modern mind would want you know, mm-hmm. like back then even like cohesive but, maybe yeah like, cohesive it's not cohesive yeah because he's like yeah so like i'm bringing in all this stuff that we have in the real world like or, or at least you know the the common conversationality for like angels and demons like we can talk about that stuff and then like i'm gonna come up with a mythology for mermaids which is not nearly as well established as angels and demons you know like it's just not going to connect as well. I, I feel fairly comfortable say, you know, saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's an interesting way to like piece it all together. Interesting. I don't know. But the dilemma here is not that Ariel is going to stab Eric and turn back into her mermaid. No. Yes. It's, it's just, she that would she turn into a, back into a mermaid. She would just be long to Ursula forever. Yeah. So like right now the issue is how is true she... love or mermaid and captive. Yeah. And how is she going to succeed? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's, that's the dilemma we're at. And that's the leaning against the pillar, sliding down it. I, 
a feeling most people have had yes. leaning against something and sliding yeah. down it yes. into into your despair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then she cries and somehow her tear lands in the water, which doesn't make sense with how she's positioned on the dock. Disney Mouse, but there's yeah. also a Mickey Mousing there where it's, where it's very it nice. Drips. Like there's like a ding, yeah, as it drips into the water in the midst. Oh, and we should talk about the music, right? We had yes. in the previous minute we had had the the wedding version of the town music. And, then and it, now we get sad violin sad version of the same. It's the song. same tune. Yeah, he the just same song. shifted just... into it. He's like, this is really like fluid and yeah. And all the more impressive when we remember that he's not working with like a proper orchestra to perform this score. Yeah. He's working with like maybe like an eight to 10 person crew. And it's a lot of like 80s synthesizer. Like this is it like. It's not a big orchestra. He's doing this on on the small scale, yeah. which is weird to think about because movies don't do that. Movies always have the big orchestras. Yeah, yeah. it's and this he, is the Alan budget Lincoln version. Did an amazing job. We're just gonna say that on, like every on a episode, tight budget <laughs> with you know limitations, minimal experience on writing scores, a lot of '80s synthesizers to yeah. to like help piece it together, like and and not the full orchestra, like. It's pretty amazing that he like got it together. And I think, I think, I wonder like if he was thinking about it, it's like, I just got to keep it simple and straightforward. I'm just doing my thing. And then it turned out that that was like a really amazing, impressive thing to do. Cause, cause it does seem really simple and straightforward, but in the best possible kind of way. Yeah. If we get back to that tier and okay. then we get, we get flounder crying and I have some, Fish, fish research? Fish research. Um, so I found out a couple different websites but um, and Wikipedia, but this, this one called fishkeepingforever.com, which was an article specifically on can fish cry, um, I think had, had a better version. So I, 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 I'm going to quote what they said. Um, the cerebral cortex is neurologically what allows us to produce tears, and this is unique to mammals alone. This means that no, fish cannot cry. They lack both the mental complexity and the emotional depth. But that's just mean. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's some pretty harsh stuff. Con- continuing, along with this, fish's eyes are saturated in a watery medium, which makes tears unrealistic them for them physi- physiologically. Tears I think that watery me- medium is water. <laughs> Tears are a means of lubrication for the eyes. One that for fish is unnecessary. That, I mean, that's okay, fine, but... but... Go ahead. Do... do any... I don't know if any other mammals cry. I... I, I, I don't seen, know if I don't know. anything but humans cry. I mean... I've seen tears come out of my dog but like that's when his eyes have been really dry like i could tell okay, that so, his eyes were but it, dry it seemed but like I don't your know dog if, had tear dust i i think yes i remember reading this book as a child i think it's called something like the cat who wanted to be human and this cat wanted to be human and they made a really big deal out of the fact that cats can't cry and you know that he becomes fully human when he starts crying his tears which like you know, it doesn't necessarily scientifically say that cats or other mammals don't cry, but you know, in the yeah, liter- like literary like mythology sense, it's like you know, there's just like a lot of human exceptionalism in just like not only how 
we've thought about animals and humans litter like in literature but it, you know like if you read darwin um and how he talks about ha- animals and humans like um he literally wrote a book on the expressions of emotions in man and animals. Half the time he is like, look at how awesome man is and like our differences between man and like animals. And then the other half of the time, because Darwin likes to contradict himself. Um, he, he's like, but look at like how you can see like sympathy in other creatures or how they react in anger. And um, mm-hmm. in the descent of man, I think, he just spends pages upon pages talking about sympathy between like other creatures for each other. And actually what I appreciate about Disney movies, uh, particularly in the Renaissance period where they like, you know, had all these like buddy animals to go along uh, with the hero of the film. Like they, they do express like sympathy between creatures and they get into cross cultural sympathy, which is not really what this episode is about. Um, But you know, it can be, you know, (laughs) It's, you know, and it's, it's just like, you know, something that like, I think, uh, changed like how, you know, those of us who grew up watching films might have thought about animals just yeah. based on mm-hmm. how we watch them. That, that same article, um, later said that fish cannot cry, but they can make a crying sound. What the heck is that supposed <laughs> to be? Know. That's, this that's so way weird. worse. That's so much worse. Um, than if they could just cry like i'm so stressed out and confused by that now um in the in the animal crying like vein of things so like probably a lot of animals do have essentially the same like mechanical system as our tear ducts for lubricating the eyes right like that tracks to me that other animals would have that that system and like i'm like other animals have mucus and so they've got mucus membranes and so they probably have the the system for you know hydrating their eyes yeah um with i don't even know exactly like what is the chemical makeup of the stuff on our eyes the like the fluid um so i'm not sure like moisture can come out of their eyes to what degree is that crying and like the level of sadness associated like is that a uniquely human development for expression of emotions and and all that sort of stuff because there's also like varying degrees of like self-awareness and social awareness in different animals right there's different animals who are considered to have certain degrees of awareness and certain ranges of emotions um like like I, I, i i've talked about it before probably on the podcast i know i've talked to kester about it but like i've read weird articles not weird articles but like fascinating articles about elephants and the level of like emotional intelligence and self-awareness that they have. Like I think so elephants are one of the animals that's considered um, self-aware, right? They have that level of sentience where they can like recognize when looking in a mirror that that is themselves. It is not another elephant. It is themselves. And like the elephants that they train to paint can like paint a self-portrait or their elephants can make mistakes and try to reconcile those mistakes. Like they can try to they like they can try to apologize, which is a pretty sophisticated emotional. They, they also awareness. grieve. Yeah, elephants grieve. Um, and yeah, so elephants have like a pretty sophisticated emotional experience. But can an elephant cry? And that would seem to be like a distinction point. That's I mean, 
based on well, according to- all of the things that I just described, you know, those are all the emotions that they would need in order to be able to cry yeah. tears, but maybe tears don't work for other animals. Well, according to the title of this book, Why Only Humans Weep, Unraveling the Mysteries of Tears. Um, oh, um, there we go. But, but you know, like it, it, depending on like what your categorization of crying or grief is, I think makes it a little more complicated but weirdly i i I guess transitioning something uh weirdly like you know uh sebastian's upset ariel's crying flounder's crying scuttle's just like singing in a happy tone (laughs) like he has no idea what's going on i think Mm -hmm. um yeah he's he is not the most emotionally intelligent character (laughs) we've ever come across yeah his emotional sensitivity is low I mean, does he... His social sensitivity is low. Does he know? He... Last time we saw him, he still thought that he, Ariel yeah, he was He thought getting it was married. Ariel. So, and... I guess he's just not, like, aware, but also, like, he left for some reason. Yeah. I, I don't know, but as we transition into that, um, we get Vanessa see- singing with her mm-hmm. stolen set of pipes. Um and she she specifically says, what a lovely little bride I'll make my dear, I'll look divine. Things are working out according to my ultimate design. So I'm, soon I'll have that little mermaid and the ocean will be mine. There's like a couple of different like things in that, in that phrase. I'm just like, okay, is she wanting to get married or is she just wanting to have the ocean? I think she's enjoying the sinister like... I'm going to be a bride. Isn't this a great way to get what I want is to okay. really take away what she wrote. She yeah. wants. So okay. I think it's just like satisfaction in that you've talked about like her plan and the book you read where yeah. it was like an alternate version where Ursula won, but she wanted to stay human a lot. And it's like, that doesn't hold She, up. she like, has King Triton as a polyp, but Ariel is ruining, ruling Atlantica and Ursula is still Vanessa human. and is ruling. And so that to doesn't make any sense. Like it just, yeah, like, it doesn't make sense. Ursula just wants to rule the ocean. Yeah. So, so I think this. I think she's just um, taking some satisfaction in how this is taking shape. Okay. And she's like, oh, I get to dress up as a bride. I get to take what Ariel wants. My plan's totally going to work. Everything's coming up, Ursula. Yeah, which although you don't know she's evil yet, in case you've gotten the many, many hints, she takes a hairpin <laughs> and throws it into the head of a cherub decoration on the mirror. Yeah, and then yes. of course the big, you know, reflection. Which even Scuttle can't not figure that one out <laughs> when you hear like Ursula's laugh and see her reflection mm-hmm. in the mirror. Which. So with that moment, can she hear herself laugh as Ursula? Can Scuttle hear herself laugh as Ursula, even as he's hearing Vanessa laugh as Ursula? Or is that Ursula laugh just there for the audience? <laughs> it's just making... Look, kids are stupid. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're I've both heard. laughing. And so... They just need to make it really clear. Also, in the reflection, it's Ursula in her true form, not Ursula in her like in, in the outfit that Vanessa is wearing. Oh, it's like in her in her normal garb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that doesn't make sense. Oh, it's magic reflection. <laughs> Maybe okay. Here's a quick question: Is that just secretly a magic mirror? 
maybe. Or is this part of her magic? Don't know. I don't maybe know. Maybe it's like vampires. Do, does her reflection always look like this? I don't know. But maybe it's like a vampire. I mean, maybe it's like the opposite of a vampire in that you can't see vampires when you look in the mirror, but maybe her magic doesn't work on mirrors. So, mm-hmm. so there's a show called Merlin um, that I really enjoy. And there's a, there's an episode where there's a, a witch that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly. There's a witch that takes that like transforms into this other person and kills the true form of that person. And, um, and she has to cover all the mirrors in the castle as, cause she's trying to get to King Arthur and, and 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 Uther, Arthur's uh, father, and perform for them and put them under a spell so she can take over and have magic um, be okay. Stuff. Anyways, um, she has a plot. Uh, yeah, and Merlin he goes in and he sees um, and he sees her reflection in the in the mirror, but she doesn't know it. But um, it's she's wearing the same clothes but it's the witch in the mirror not mm-hmm. the the form that she's taken so it's like that so uh, like i mean obviously like we've definitely got mirror magic in the the overall consciousness yeah Mir- mirrors do wacky stuff when there's magic involved yeah, yeah. uh can we talk about the thing i have some notes about the things that she has on her on her uh vanity. vanity i think that would be a vanity a vanity um so original so first you see like a necklace dangling off there's like mm-hmm. maybe a bracelet or something there's a brush a hairbrush uh there's two goblets which look wooden um and they stand out quite a bit from the rest of the things on the on the vanity because they're not as fancy and then you have like a, a makeup powder container thing compact compact maybe i don't know if it's if it's makeup or if it's like a jewelry box there's a jewelry box but i don't know if it's like a small sort of container yeah and then there's a perfume i mean that would that would quite possibly be a snuff box but (laughs) yeah 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 uh then there's a a perfume bottle i believe it's a perfume bottle right next to that Mm -hmm. and there's also a pocket watch when she steps she steps on something purple that looks like it's also a perfume bottle but you can also see the other perfume bottle. So there are two perfume bottles. Well, she didn't like that one. But the purple one wasn't there originally. Well, yes, they they changed the angle. I'm not going to fault them for that. No, no. So so hold on. Hold okay. on. So originally, there's one perfume bottle and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Then when she, you see her foot step on, mm-hmm. there's two perfume bottles and she breaks one. Yeah. Then when it backs up, both perfume bottles are gone. All right. That seems a little bit weird. <laughs> I have no answer for that. <laughs> no, no answer whatsoever. Look, they're allowed to make mistakes <laughs> sometimes in very small scenes that are very short and are not at all about perfume bottles, but okay. about a villain demonstrating that they're a villain. Okay. You know, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's very common for women to step up on their vanities and crush perfume bottles. It's not. It, isn't that part of the typical makeup routine? Yeah. Hannah, is that part of your makeup routine? That's why I spend every... all my money on perfume bottles because I have to do it every single day and it gets really <laughs> Just step up, step up onto the vanity, crunch, 
And then you make sure your makeup's also, all good by like leaning close to the window, to the, yeah. not the window, the mirror. And I also have a very big hospital bill because I do this while barefoot. Um, <laughs> as, as, as the movie demonstrates. Mm-hmm. And uh, weirdly coincides with the little mermaid myth, because then it really feels like your feet are stepping on glass. Yes, all the that time. is also part of the mermaid myth. Um, <laughs> when, when she becomes human, um, it's very painful to walk. Um, Maybe this is, is this like a, is this a reference? Is this a, a an Easter I, egg? I don't know. Cause she might be wearing, I can't remember if she's wearing a shoe or not. I thought she, she was wearing flats. She might be wearing flats. She might like, I'm seeing both versions of my head right now. So I can't, I can't figure it out. I can't remember. Or she's wearing, she's wearing, oh it's, yeah. She's not wearing, she's wearing like these black shoes that are, they look like they could have a good probably, probably, <laughs> probably not going to hold up great to the no, glass. No, probably not. They're probably not very, they don't have a good soul in them. I guess that explains why she can break the glass and just be fine. I don't know. Maybe maybe she doesn't feel anything. She's Ursula. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> questions, questions, questions. <laughs> um, any other notes on for today? We see the E insignia again as Scuttles flying. Just mm-hmm. wanted to point that out. Every time I see it, I just want to point it out. It's a how very it makes fancy no, It's e. a very fancy E. It just makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah, this is your last chance to to talk about the movie. Anything else that you want to express about the entire film? Oh, uh, you know, I actually feel like, though they do focus on the romance, and it's also so weird that she's so young and she wants to get married, but it's a fairy tale, I guess it's fine. Um but like I actually think that the really interesting thing and the moving part about this movie is they focus so much on the father-daughter relationship. And I will not lie, I, I was moved to tears by the ultimate resolution of that storyline. It's I mean, that really is like a strong focus. I know it's been a long time since we had a lot of contact between the two characters. Like for half of the movie, they don't interact. Yeah. But they do have, you know, a cutaway to King Triton worrying, you know, being worried about her and, and everything. Um, so they did do a good job of making sure that connective tissue is still in place. Um, and I will, and, yeah. and making that a through line. I will actually say that I find the scene where he destroys her wonder, capable wonders, uh, to borrow the Aladdin, um, <laughs> phrase, uh, I feel like that is actually in some ways more devastating than the fact that Eric might be marrying someone else. Because besides the fact that she's going to belong to Ursula for the rest of her life, she could move on. She could find someone else. Maybe like mm-hmm. it feels like the end of the world when you're 16, but you know, there is life after breakups. If you want to call this that, um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is life after evil sea, which is steel. The your man, man that you're interested in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I agree. I think that, um, you know, as, as far as like the emotional low points for Ariel's story, this is not as low as the, the grotto yeah, being destroyed because that is, I mean, that's so visceral and so much about, you know, her overall interests and her passions and like the level of rejection coming from, you know, a parental figure for the things that you care about. Like that's intense stuff. And and in a lot of ways, like much more real and universal, I think, than this 
kind of weird romantic finale. And like, that's something she's been interested in for a very long time and, and feels, you know, so intensely as part of her identity. Whereas this one, like, yeah, it does feel like, like, okay, you know, like the romance didn't work out, but there's other attempts at romance, but like your identity and getting rejection on that level, like that's much more intense. Yeah. And, and unfortunately something that way too many people have had to deal with from their families. Yeah. That got, oh, that, that got, got kind of heavy. heavy. <laughs> Hard way to end on a Tuesday. Anyone but... got something cheerful about this minute before I wrap it up? I mean, Scuttle's supposed to be funny. And sometimes he really is. Um, Sometimes he's kind of annoying. But sometimes he's funny. Uh, okay, quick question. That hairpin. Do you guys have hairpins that are sharp enough to like stab into something? No. Okay, you have to like intentionally have like specially made hairpins. I'm but like this isn't a bobby pin. Kester's about to like reach up and take out a <laughs> I bobby won't, pin. I won't speak this is, for this all is not a bobby pin. I won't speak for all hairpins. Um and I guess it's like I guess historical hairpins could be a little different maybe. Not my field yeah. of research. Um Yeah, I I think that maybe this is just a weapon that she has in her hair for some reason. Also, like, I don't totally understand it because it really just looks like it was, a, she was just taking it out of her head. <laughs> well, no, it, it looks like the entirety of this device. And, and again, I don't know that much about like hairpins and stuff, but it seems like it is just a long needle with a small wooden handle. So it does seem like that is just a weapon. Yeah. Most I mean, of the hairpins so- I've seen do not look like that. No, so there there are hairpins that are long and thin, and, and can, just pointed and at be, the end, and, and kind of pointed at or the end, are but they not very like, much. Because the purpose is to like gather some hair together, and, right? and like hold hold it up, like kind of like in a bun, kind of, mm-hmm. or hold part of your hair up. And but it's not just like, but it's not but, just a piece of metal that you stick straight through no. the bun. No, not really. No, because you have to like arrange it in a specific way and then hold it. Like you can hold your hair with just two. Hairpins. Yeah, or like people do them with, it's just with like pencils. I've seen people, yeah. I've seen women like wrap up their hair and stick you a just, pencil through it. You just it. have to do it in a very specific way. And as she pulls that out of her hair, it's not like holding anything up. So it should just fall out of her hair. Really. That's like that. For this for this device. Yeah. Unless it's like a bobby pin and it has like compressive force. Yeah, but it doesn't. Keeping matter. it in. Okay. That's a much lighter note. <laughs> Um, but listeners, if any of you have like sharpened hairpins as an example, or historical hairpins as an example, those would be super helpful for us. I'm sure that in spy movies or TV shows like Chuck, I'm sure Sarah uses one, something like that. Yeah, in like the first episode, she has her hair done up with like yeah. two poison tipped, but it's for hair knives. It's as it's as a weapon, and so yeah. I don't I don't understand about. I mean, I've definitely like read that in books where like. A female protagonist is saying, "Like, yeah, and I have specially made ha- hairpins that I can use as weapons." Like, duh. But this yeah. literally just seems uh, to be a hairpin to murder the wooden cherub. Yeah. Like, <laughs> also, that's a very effective throw. Yeah. Like, Ursula has untold martial skill. Um. Anyway, all right. In that case, 
That's all we have for you today, listeners. We're part of Dueling Genre, and you can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you'll also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all the Dueling Genre productions. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels Group. And our guest, Hannah, can be found at... Uh, VoxPopcast.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at VoxPopcasts, where we post blogs for upcoming shows and you can comment on them if you feel the need to tell us we're wrong um all right we, we like both all right yeah you'll, you'll take all kinds of feedback we will um but you can also write a five-star review on itunes despite how we never listen to our show <laughs> and you know if you haven't done a five to five star not a five tunes a five-star <laughs> itunes review for us here at dame uh you know go for it right that would be real cool of you and we want to thank Nick English and Scott Tofty for our artwork and our theme music. And until next time, listeners, thank you for making us part of your world. Bye.